Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm your boy Drew. Welcome back to our show, Option Forward Podcast. I'm always joined by a special guest and also the other half of the show, GQ Nesto. How you doing today? Doing good. Ready, ready. All right. And uh, today we have a special guest, um, and we're going to get all about into his history and his background and what he. Uh, is currently doing in the community and his effects on the world itself. But we have a, a special guest, like I said. Welcome, Mr. Ashanti Branch. Uh, I'll let him introduce yourself. But how are you doing today, Mr. Branch? I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling um, really energized um, and I'm ready to go. I got some good tea this morning and some, ready. <laughs> some good tea? <laughs> yeah. I don't really drink coffee, but. This morning, I just felt like I needed some tea. I don't know. Okay. All right. Is is that a, a normal routine? It's normally like a maybe like a cleansing routine. Like, you know, I try and just switch it up sometimes. You know, coffee. I have four shots, so okay. and that okay. barely works. So sometimes I'm like, just take a break, right? Let okay. The, let the system reset. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, the importance of our guest today is uh, his club that he's involved with something that he is the creator, the designer, the, the head architect, uh, to be. And, uh, it's called the ever, ever forward club. And, um, could you tell us a little bit, what, what is the ever, ever forward club? Yeah. So, um, ever forward is a youth development mentoring organization. Um, it started with the club of just a group of young men that was at San Lorenzo high school. I was a first year teacher, I was doing a horrible job. I mean, when I say a horrible job, meaning there were smart kids in my class failing. So I considered it something was wrong with me and what I was doing because, like, I saw them. I could tell they were brilliant. But the way that schools measure you, they weren't. Schools measure you. With that, with not, not to uh, cut you off, but would that be like that whole, what, it's, uh, the new Common Core system or something like that? Or was it your method of teaching or was it? The curriculum that the school wanted you to provide the information to the students. Yeah, I think all of the above. Like I was, I was there before Common Core. When I was leaving, Common Core was coming in, but I just saw smart students. Meaning, like, if you call a good student, you look at their report card. I mean, that's what you look at. You look at what does the report card say, right. and the report card usually what defines good students, bad students in technical ways, right? But what I saw was kids who were really brilliant, like. They had they had a lot of intelligence, but they weren't. It wasn't showing up in the on the grades. It wasn't showing up on the tests. It wasn't showing up in the classwork and homework. And what I recognized that there were more to them than they were letting people see. But because I remember being a student who was doing bad in school, not because I wasn't couldn't do the work. I didn't care about school. School was like a break. School was a break from my chaotic nightlife where I was taking care of my siblings and raising them and cooking, cleaning, washing clothes, folding. Like my, my mom had chores that she made up. Like, I don't know. I think she just went to bed making up chores. Like, right. get up. You're going to wash the walls. <laughs> Who does that? That wall has never been touched by any human being. It's behind a shelf. But she she would make up stuff, right? And so when I got to school, I'm like, okay, I got a break. So I went to school not to learn. I went to school to be like, how can I have some fun? Because I know at home there ain't no fun, you know? 
Right. And that's how it all started. But when I saw those students who were smart, I'm like, you can't be failing my class. Like, hey, you fail, fail one of these classes that these teachers don't like you. But I love you. And I'm only here for you. I, I didn't come to teaching for money or even like some kind of prestige. I came because something in me said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And that's how it all started. That's how the, the journey of Ever Forward Club started with me. I told the young man, I said, look, I'll buy you lunch once a week. In exchange for lunch, teach me to be a better teacher. Like, what am I doing wrong? So what was it? Like, what, what, the advice or the, uh, what you can say, the constructive criticism? <laughs> well, they first started with, like, you should give us no homework. Like, they were like, give us no homework. We should watch movies all the time. And there were certain things that weren't going to happen, right? Right. So, you know, the no homework was always like, well, if you get enough stuff finished in class, you don't have to have any homework. How about we you finish it in class and we're done? But if you don't, if you come to class and you're not, so I, I tried some of the things they tried, right? I tried, I tried to be the cool teacher, right? And I realized, well, they don't really want that. That's what they say they want, but they'll take advantage of that. And it doesn't, they don't respect that. They don't respect somebody who just lets them do whatever they want. And, okay. and so I learned that my work with them was like, okay, so we're going to have these sessions outside of class. I'm, I'm a, we're going to talk. We're going to eat together. We can have good conversation over food. And then I'm going to learn what the ways I can support you better in class. You're going to tell me, Brands, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta take it down or not. You know, you, maybe you say all kind of slang that you should say to me. Dude, Brands, you be doing too much. Like, what do you mean? Like, I just want people to learn. Well, yeah, but you be making speeches. I'm like, okay, so what do I do? I don't do a speech. They're like, okay, just tell us once. And I said, but y'all don't listen. So then we were, we would go back and forth. Like, I'll do what you advise me. I'll try it. But I'll say it once and I'll look at one of the students. I'm like, I just said it once. And he's like, yeah, you gotta say it again. And so you, we began to build a we built a friendship, a connection that was deeper than me as their math teacher, right? And I think what happens with a lot of teachers is they they are really good at their subject, but they may not be good at relationship building. And if you're a good at, I was a math teacher, so I was good at math, but I, I didn't come to school to build relationships. I came to school to teach math. That's what they hired me for. And I think when I shifted that thinking about, oh, this is a relationship. This is, oh, I see what I'm missing. Because I had you know, already been out of high school so long and I had already been to college and I had been in the corporate world. And I was I had forgotten that the teachers who I love the most or I connected with the most, there was a relationship there outside of. I mean, it may have just been high and by, but hey, how you doing, Ashanti? It was a, a check in once in a while that was you knew that it was more than a teacher student relationship. And that's what I was trying to build for those young men. OK. All right. So you mentioned that, you know, you had a, a, a you were good in mathematics. Yeah. So you were a math teacher. Uh, I was doing a little digging, a little research. And of course, through our conversations that we had prior to today, um, I know you have a background in engineering. Yeah. Um, something that uh, GQ Nesto alluded to. Um, that's a career path that, one, everybody can't do it. But you reach what you can say, or you attained uh, the top of the top. You know what I'm saying? You got your degree and everything and began your career. So was it, what was that? I mean, okay, so financially it should be good, you know? Yeah. You know, that annual income should be looking pretty good. Yeah. But what was it? What did you feel inside of where, I don't want to say you felt incomplete, but like maybe that that thing that something was missing. What, and what was that? Like, where was that light bulb that just went off of like, man, you know what? I, I got to make a change. Yeah, and I, I would say it was incomplete. It was, what I thought I was working for was, happy ever after. I thought the formula they told me when I was off track and when I got on track, they said, if you study hard, go to college, 
get a good job, make a lot of money, live happy ever after. I'm like, it's a five point plan. Sign me up all day. Right. Right. And once I knew that I could do the work and I wasn't afraid of people calling me a nerd or whatever, I wasn't worried about that. I was like, I'm about to be out of here. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to be out of Oakland. I'm about to go and live my, my amazing life. They, they weren't calling it my best life ever back then. It was just like, I'm about to be, I'm about to have it all, right? I'm about to be doing it. I'm about to be doing it. And I right. think what I realized was that when I started working and making the money, like I thought the money was going to bring the, all the happy ever after. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's doing a lot. It lets me travel. I can do this. I can do that. I can pay the rent and the PG&E and car insurance in the same month. You know, in college, I was borrowing from one to pay the other. So it was always right. a negotiation in every month. But to be able to pay all the bills and still be able to go out to a movie, I was like, this is amazing. And what I realized on the journey was that something's missing, though. Why am I not happy? Like, why am I not feeling like I'm buying happiness? I'm at every happy hour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Friday, 5 p.m. <laughs> is all good, right? Sunday around 7 p.m. is like, oh, we're going back. Now, the work was easy. It wasn't that the work was hard. I, I love, I worked in the construction industry. I love seeing buildings go up. I love seeing big steel and concrete and wood and plywood. And I loved it. The noise, I loved it all. But what after that, what? I go home and I'm like, hmm, I'm just playing video games. I'm just watching TV. I'm just like making some food. I felt like, it felt, it felt like it wasn't what I had worked so hard for. College took me six years struggling college was hard for me i went to one of the top engineering schools but when i graduated i was like yes i made it and then five years later about five years later is when i finally was like something's missing and that's how it all happened the, that that call what, what, the way the transition kind of happened was a friend of mine who was tutoring at this program called upward bound and upward bound helps first generation college students prepare for college it's just you know gives them tips and tools and t- training and tutoring and all the stuff they need so that they can be the first generation that goes to college and he said, can you come tutor for me? I said, when? He's like, I need a tutor Saturday mornings. I'm like, I don't even see Saturday morning. You know what I'm saying? Friday, Friday, 5 p.m. happy hour starts. I don't wake up till Saturday around 2 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he was like, I need a math teacher. Come on. I just need, I, okay, help me out. I said, okay, you got two months. I was going to sacrifice my hat. Because remember, I'm looking for happiness, and I'm only getting it during these happy hours. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you got two months. I'll help you out. as a friend, right? So I'm trying to support him. And I remember that first session, a kid walked in late. He's like the mayor. He's like he's like Sam on Cheers. I know he's not Sam. He's like um, Norm, right? He walks in. Everybody's like, "Hey!" And then he goes around. And has to give everybody a hug and a handshake. And I'm like, "I'm my first my first session." I'm like, "Who's this? Who's this kid?" I'm like, "Oh, that's Damon." I'm like, "Come here, come here." I said, first of all, you late. How you walking in here greeting everybody and you late? What what are they greeting you for? Right. And then I said to him, "I said you gonna sit with me? Sit in the front." He said, "I don't sit in the front." I said, oh, "You do today." Now, I'm new, right? So I'm already realized I'm shaking things up because everybody's like, oh, he's all up on, he's all up on our, yeah. our homie, right? Yeah, right? And I'm like, oh, this is a different kind of place. And so then I remember driving home that day. I was, I, this was in Oakland at Mills College. I lived in Walnut Creek at the time, right? I had, I had to drive back to, driving there to Oakland, driving back to Walnut Creek. And I was thinking of what I was going to do for that kid next week. I'm like, <laughs> I dare him to show up late. I dare him to show up late. And in my mind, something in me was already starting to click, but it, I wasn't I wasn't aware that it was this the call on my heart to be like, that's what makes you come alive. Like I left the class and I'm still thinking about this kid who I'm like, how dare he show up late and then goof off while he's in class. So in my mind it was like something was already seeds were planting. And I didn't know it. 
And so I ended up working there two years, two months turned into two years. Wow. And um, and that's what that was the seed that really set the deal when I decided to go back to school and do my credential and my master's in education. Wow. Amazing. GQ Nesto. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to all this and obviously like, you know, you had a long path for you to just bust a you. <laughs> I mean, so obviously we can say, uh, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it kind of does, you know, what was it really I, I kind of want to know the the deeper version of of you sacrificing six years or you know whatever time it took you for you to just throw it all away for um, I wouldn't say like throw it away but but more like sacrifice because obviously you know uh, teachers going on strike you know compensation sometimes is not good so there's a lot of things so it had to be something very powerful. Aside from a, a, a situation inside you that that, you know, kind of sparked the the whole I need to be full, you know. So what is it that that got you there? You know, there was lots of layers around it. There was me as a engineer making really good money, but also feeling like something was missing. Right. Like, why should I feel like something was missing? It, it was really confusing that I was feeling like something was missing when I had done exactly what they told me the American dream was about. To have a job, making a lot of money, with a lot of respect. Like, what more do you want? But but something inside of me was missing. Like, it wasn't, the job was great. People who were at the job were loving it, right? They were moving, making progress, moving on up. And I think that, I remember one night, um, my super, my, when the project manager was in the office, he's like, he was an older man. He was like, you know, 60s. And he was wheeling and dealing in the corner, some deal, right? And, um, and I was looking and I was like, is that what I got to look forward to? Like, being a project manager as an engineer, you become a project manager and then you may become, you know, something else if you're depending on your trajectory. But I'm like, that's what I'm looking forward to in 20 years. Like just wheeling and dealing in the corner and making promises and for, for, for what, for what end to have this building, which is beautiful on the outside and maybe beautiful on the inside, but to have a building on the side of the road, it just felt like something was like, I said, really, is that what I'm looking forward to? And I think deep down I was like, Something's wrong with me. I wasn't blaming my job. I wasn't blaming anybody else. I was saying something's wrong with me that I'm not satisfied with just making the money, right? Do you feel like sometimes it was the the culture, the environment that obviously you went through a rough path, you made it, and it was just kind of like a way for you to give back to your community and kind of just reinvest whatever you went through and and, and kind of give everybody the hope? Because, I mean, the struggle is real, you know, and, and I think that... Um, not a lot of people, you know, do that U-turn to try to come back and 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 kind of let everybody know that hey, there's hope. It, was it that, or what do you think it was? Well, so here's what here's what happened. I was in this one engineering firm, and then what was the call was coming. The call on my heart, in my life was like, you should be a teacher. I even in the downstairs of our building, there was a learning center, and the, I started tutoring there. Right, so I was like in it. I was tutoring after work all the time. Like I was looking for meaning and I was finding a lot of joy and meaning in that even though it wasn't paying a lot it was joy and meaning and passion right and so I, in order to like this lady at this company this learning learning center she said you know I want to hire you you want to be one of our partners you could help us go into these schools you could help bring you know clients into here we'll, we'll, you know you'll be profit sharing and I got scared that this thing which was was calling me was like not the dream that I had dreamed I, it wasn't this the six years I had worked hard for wasn't to 
be a partner at some learning center to go into schools and do stuff. I didn't, I was like, oh no. But since they were downstairs in my building, I was like kind of the moment where it was like, I think I need to make a move because I, I see them every day, right? I see them every day. And I'm seeing the thing that probably in part of my heart was like, you should do it, but I wasn't ready to make the move. So I, I got a promotion to a job in San Jose, which was all the way from where I lived in Walnut Creek, San Jose, about an hour plus every morning, hour plus there and hour plus back. And I remember like some of them drives like, what are you doing? Like you're driving an hour plus to get to work and an hour plus to get home. And you're not, you're making more money, but it's not making any more sense. It was like the sense wasn't even there. And I was like, what are you doing, Ashanti? And I think that part of it, um, one of the moments that happened, I was in, um, I took a vacation. I went to Mexico. While I was in Mexico, the, one of the buildings I was working on caught on fire. So I'm in this bar in Mexico and I'm looking at the TV and I'm like, because this was like one of the biggest buildings that ever floor plan, like one acre, right? So one of the biggest buildings. And so it was on TV in Mexico. And I'm like, that's my, that's my project. Like my project caught on fire. And I was like, I mean, that. It was a sign. It was something, right? I mean, when, when, a, burn, when a construction project burns up, there's more job security because now we got to fix the burn plus the building we had to build in the first place. So it wasn't that I was like out of work. It was that something with me was like, this is, I mean, you can keep, you can keep going. Keep going, keep going. But it wasn't fun anymore. It was almost like, like it was, it was, not, it was, yeah, it was almost like not fun anymore. I could, it was like, I could do the work. I was smart. I could figure things out. Cause, it, cause it's not like you were carrying bricks in your wall and in your back. You know what I mean? Like you went to school for that. So it's not like, you know, you, you can, you can say you're, you're, you know, working for the union and, you know, carrying all these pipes on your back and having back problems. I see that. You know what I mean? I was but, in the trailer. That's what, that's what I'm yeah. saying. You, you're AC. Everything's good. You know, wear that hard hat from time to time, you know? Like, I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, I, I looked into your whole resume, like I told you earlier, and I'm like, man, it's, it's an impressive resume for you to just say, screw it. Let's, let's, uh, let's teach some bad kids. You know what I mean? Or let's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough. That's So we know, we, we know the spark created the Ever Forward Club. Yeah. But what exactly was the logistics behind it so yeah. you got an idea you know what i'm saying you from from the feeling you generated the idea and you yeah. put it into action so what exactly was involved in, in, in getting everything up and running yeah you know i was so in my classroom i always had like um, pictures on the wall when i was when i had engineering money and i was traveling so i always had these traveling pictures and so with the young men i was like look Go if, if they got in trouble in a class, for example, when we started our first meeting, it was like, I'm bringing lunch in. We're going to have lunch together. We're going to talk. We're going to have food. You're going to help me be a better teacher. I'm going to I'm gonna buy food. My, my exchange for you is food. And we began to build this community. And what ended up happening was I realized that what was happening with other teachers, teachers weren't getting out of them what I was getting out of them because teachers didn't have a relationship with them. So I became like the, the translator for these students who were, of all, what you said, bad kids, which is what everyone called them. But I knew they were amazing, right? And so my job was to help translate what the teachers were seeing. Now, my job is not to tell the kids business. I know what's going on with them. My job is to tell the teacher, hey, there's a lot more going on with him than what you can see. So why don't you pull him aside? Don't talk to him in front of class. Pull him aside and just ask him what's going on. See if he's willing to share with you. But you need to like know that he, he can do anything you ask him to do. Any work that you ask him to do, he can do. He is smart. But what's happening is you're having a you're having a uh, emotional battle with him and he's going to win. 
because he's not only a teenager, he got all his friends there. So every day you try and fight with him emotionally with this situation, he's going to win. And you know I knew it? Because I was that kind of kid. I was that kind of kid who was a bad kid, who was not doing good in school, but who could tear a classroom apart just, just socially, not physically, but just socially. Like, all right, you're going to be mean to me? All right, okay, here we go. And it would be like the, the Shanti Branch show, right? <laughs> and you're going to kick me out. You, we're not, this is not going to happen. We, you're going to kick me out. So here's what's going to happen. Either you kick me out or this is going to be a bad day for everybody, you know? And it's because those relationships weren't there. So what happens with these young men in the class, if they were getting into a situation with a teacher, I told the teacher, don't send them to the office. You send a kid to the office. If the person in the office doesn't even know the kid, they read the referral. They accuse the kid of what he did on the referral. It could be more going on. But the, the, the administrator really doesn't have a whole lot of time. They're like, the teacher says you threw a chair Okay, you're going to get suspended or you're going to have detention for five days. And the kid's like, no, I'm not. I, like, you haven't even heard my side of the story. And the, <laughs> and the principal's like, I don't care about your side of the story. You shouldn't be throwing chairs. And the kid hasn't even told you what has happened. The teacher sat next to him, a guy who's been bothering him, who's been harassing him, who's been calling him stuff out of, you know, out of the blue. And now he's trying to be a student in class, but now he got this kid next to him is bothering him. And he's telling the teacher, hey, don't sit him next to me. Teacher said, okay. And now the teacher moves him. The teacher forgets or whatever. But now what do you have to do? I got to get somebody's attention. So I'm going to throw a chair to let people know that this is need to shake up the situation. And what happens with those young people, I said, don't send them to the office. Send them to my class. And so students would show up in my class with a pass and be like, okay, sit on the couch. And now they would sit on the couch until I got a chance to go over and talk to them. And what it began to do is that in our circles, we began to get to know each other better. With other teachers, I began to advocate for them. I began to be like their big brother at that school. And I would, I'm having the teachers bother me. What's happening? They tell me the story. I'm like, okay, listen to email. What do you, what do you, what do you need help with? X, Y, Z. Okay, let's write the email. This is, I just talked to the student. And so I became like the, the, the student whisperer for those students who could not talk to the teachers themselves. And teachers began to realize, you know, I got a kid you should talk to. I'm like, okay, send them over. And, you know, a lot of the kids who came to us came from teachers saying, I think I got a kid who should be in your club. Because there was nothing at the school like that. There was nothing at the school for kids who didn't like school. Kids who like school, teachers get along with them pretty well. Kids who don't like school, teachers almost make them an enemy. Why do I have to like school? How about I, how about I have the right to hate school? But if I tell you I hate school and now you become an enemy of me because you think that like, you, have a, you have an ego around your class, what if I hate English and you're an English teacher? Do you take it personal? I mean, I, I know teachers take it personal. Why are you taking it personal? You think every kid has to love English because you're the teacher? Come on now. I don't need every kid to love math. You don't have to even like math. But when you come in this room, you're going to do math. You can hate it all day long. You can hate me. But guess what? In this room, we do math. And we do math with respect. And we do math through hard times. And we do math when it's super easy. And we help others. And that's how it all began. So the club became this academic family. We began to hang out a lot more. We began to take field trips. It became a club. It got so big, I didn't know what I was doing. We had like 65, 70 members. We ended up with a young women's club that was like blowing up as well. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't even, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really trying to figure it out. And I was really like, I hit, I hit some emotional walls, like, because I was taking in all their stuff. When we come, when we come to a session, right. we do check-ins. I didn't have anywhere to go to take my stuff, right? Even <laughs> as an adult, right? So I was carrying all their stuff and my stuff. And it was, it, it got heavy, it got really heavy. But um, I had to learn. And it wasn't until, you know, they say it's every four started 2004 in 2010 is when I went to my first men's circle 
And I realized that you could, there were men you could trust. I didn't really have any relationship with men. My father died before I was born. I had uncles and my grandfather, you know, those people I kind of trusted. But we didn't talk about emotional stuff. We talked about, you know, nuts and bolts. <laughs> my grandfather, I poured my first concrete pad with him. I poured, built a first fence with him. We didn't talk about feelings, you know. When I was getting bullied in middle school, he was like, I asked him, hey, granddaddy, what do you do if somebody's like bullying you and taking your lunch money? And he's like, well, son, he was a, he was a preacher. He was my, my, he was a preacher at my church. He was like, son, you just got to forgive him. You got to pray for him and forgive him. I'm like, that's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> I need permission. I need permission. Somebody give me permission to use these, right? Because yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I was not a fighter. I didn't, I didn't learn how to fight, but I, I, I was, I was scared every day going to school, you know? That, that's, that's kind of like, uh, I was doing a little bit of research, especially with, you know, the stuff that you do at this club and, um, it's crazy how the word, you know, manning up, right? Um, we're hold as males, we're hold to a, such a high standards, right? That um, in reality, this is not a hard wire that we come in with. Like we, we're not, we don't man up because that's just, it comes in, it's part of a, you know, it's part of the package of, of being a male. And I think that that's the part that society creates, you know? And um, I think that, what you're saying right now is interesting because we live in a world where emotions don't count. Um, you talking about what, you know, makes you happy or what, you know, all these things that, I mean, women, you know, automatically it's like, well, how can I help you? What's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, you can't do that. You have to man up, you know? And I think that that's, it's unfortunate because it's the, misunderstanding that if if we were to say um you know speak about our emotions or speak about certain things and then now we're going to be labeled as soft you know and then now we have to not only deal with our emotions but on top of that worried about not portraying that softness so it's just it's an ongoing battle i mean i don't know it's it's crazy yeah i think imagine imagine i I don't know where you grew up but if you think about what messages you got about being a man growing up right those start early. I mean, I hear parents in the grocery stores are kind of like a little girl to boys. <laughs> so we begin to shame them that to cry makes you not a real boy, not a real man. And then we confuse that when they can become adults and do atrocious behaviors with no emotion connected. Because we've, we've trained it out of them. We've nurtured the, I think what they say, scientists say, that boys are usually more sensitive than girls when they're babies, when they're little. They're more sensitive. They're more clingy. Like, what happens? Well, they know they go to kindergarten and somebody says, stop crying like a little girl. Stop being a little sissy. Stop being a little blah, blah, blah. And when they get older, the words get a little bit more violent and more aggressive. And you're like, oh, I can't show feelings. Oh, I can show funny. I can show angry. I can show I don't care. And what else? Um, the rest of the emotions are supposed to be shut off because you better not drop that tear. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, exactly, exactly. You better not drop that tear. On a I w- well to flip it just a little bit, if you can half fold that taco real quick, um, <laughs> I would say the where I the way I approach it, and I only approach it with my sons, but also with my daughter, I see it from an employer and an employee standpoint. My employer does not care that I don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. I'm paying you for a service. I'm prov- and you are to provide that service unless you are an entrepreneur and your own boss. So that's why I say, man, don't nobody care about your feelings and how you feel. You better get to work. <laughs> I, I don't care. 
produce. Yeah. Cause that's what you're here for. You're here to produce. So I always, you know, I, I would say it, but if I'm obviously I'm wrong in, in approaching things that way or, 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 or I would say communicating that with my children, but it, it's more like, dude, man, like you can't go into a place of work and expect people to feel sorry for you because yeah. for one, you don't know that other person that you're, you know, expressing yourself to may have it worse than you. And they're looking at you like, bruh, sis, like, stop. Like, mm. can, can you just get back to your cubicle and uh, get on this laptop or this desktop and do what you got to do so we can go home? You know, so I always seen it like as that. And like we, we discussed, like everything in moderation, there's a time and place for everything. Right now, from nine to five or from, from eight to four or whatever it is, I need you to work. And we can talk about your emotions and stuff like that afterwards. You know, that's. That's now, how I seen it. Are you talking about with a real employee or with your your kids? No, I yeah, but <laughs> I, I would I have because I I was in the military. Okay, so I've I've had those conversations with those who you know what I'm saying who I was you can say their supervisor. Yeah. Um. But then you know the military is different. Yeah. You know that's we're we're talking military. We're talking about corporate world. That that's that's night and day. But at the same time, those same leadership styles are still present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the corporate world. That's right. Like, dude, like uh, you're not making 80, 100, 60, whatever it is annually for you to come up in here talking about I need a me day. Mm. What you say is really powerful, right? Because I think that what st- companies who have studied this around studying employees and studying management styles, there's the, the term psychological safety, right? Which means that I, in this workplace, I have a space where if that if I make a mistake, let's say let's say I'm taking care of whatever I can take, but I make a mistake. Am I worried about getting fired, ridiculed, embarrassed? Am I worried about being ashamed? Now, let's say I've given everything. I've given 100%. Like, I'm here every day on time doing work, and I'm not up to speed of where I should, where people think I should be because what they think that I should be. That's their, their, their perception. And I think that there's a, the companies and employees have a space to do that in a way where they know that, hey, I, I, can I try something new? I, I think there's no innovation unless you're willing to be vulnerable. Like innovation is saying this may not work. So the only way you can create a, create a company where people are willing to create new innovative ways of doing the business is they got to be a they, they can't be worried that if they make a mistake and this thing loses a little bit of money or it loses some time or productivity, but in the way of innovation, right? Kind of like Google Docs, right? Google wasn't trying to create a word processing system, right? An employee was like, they had free, they had 20% of time to be working on wild ideas and they got to do it. And then now well, I, I don't even have a Microsoft Word anymore, right? Like, and so what happens, I think, in companies and also families is like, where do people know that they can speak about where they're doing, what they're feeling, and know that there's a time and space? I think there's always a time and space, right? You know, Tony Porter um, from A Call to Men talks about um, in his TED talk, he says, look, you know, with my daughter, if I hear my daughter crying, I'm running to go check out what's going on with her. And he said, well, my son, if I hear him crying, I almost get irritated. I almost get like, what you crying for? But with his daughter, he runs to her aid as if human feelings are not the same, (laughs) just in a different body. And what he talks about in his TED talk, he says, and I realize that I've been not serving my son well because I've made him feel like he can't feel, but she can feel now. There's a time and place for everything. Hey, you're upset. You're sad. You want to get. You don't want to get up in the morning. Hey, I don't like it either. Get up. I'm not talking about like the idea that 
you don't, that there's not place to be able to express. But you're right now just uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable and still get up, right? right? As opposed to like your feelings are not valid because you're in this body and therefore we begin to repress them. And I think that we've seen men over and over again talk about it. I wish I had a place to talk about what I was going through. We, we The behavior, our jails are full of men. So uh, 94% of people in prison are men. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you, you, you have this club, you know, you have this resource, uh, you're the big brother. Now, how do we, how do you translate this thing into these young men that at some point they're going to have to take accountability? Now we're dealing with uh, the traditional bad kid, you know, probably lacks structure at, at, at their household, probably has anger issues, probably has all these, you know, uh, I want to say all these um, adversities. Right. That that are against him. And, and maybe it's not necessarily his fault. Maybe he's just born in that environment, that culture. Right. So now they have this club. They come in, you know, they start learning from you. They start, uh, you know, taking new habits. So how do you make them translate all these things that they're they're learning into the real world? Because we know that in the real world, you know, there's no strike one, strike two, strike three. No, you 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 mess up. Um, you know, just like you were saying, you mess up, you're out the door, you know, because there's somebody uh, with the education background ready to take your spot. So what is it that you do with these young men to let them know, like, hey, once you're out of this, you know, classroom, like, it's game on, you're on your own. Yeah. So in our work, what we try and do is, and I'm gonna come back to the, the job strike one, strike two, because I think that what companies have realized also is that that doesn't work. Right. If if I'm walking on eggshells every day, my productivity is going to be probably going down. Right. But I think that what we happened in what we saw in our club, because it started in school. Right. We saw that they were hungry for a place to be seen as more fully themselves. Now, you being more fully yourself by being having permission to feel what you feel doesn't negate the responsibility that you have of the the, of being a student. So my work was always like, hey. When students in my class said, man, I hate math. Okay, you hate math. No worries. You still got to do it. It's kind of like paying bills, paying taxes. Like if you want to have a, a certain type of lifestyle, there are certain things you're going to do you may not like to do. Those are responsibilities. So it was never like to absolve them of a responsibility, but it was to say, you know what, guess what? Um, you, If you're walking around as only half of yourself, meaning I only get to show only these three qualities of myself, right? Tough, strong, athletic muscular, like, what if you're not those things? What if you don't even have the body style that, that, that tells you, oh, that's what a man's body should look like? What if you're overweight? I was, I've was, i been this size since I was 12, right? I've been a big kid all my whole life, right? Like, I never was the, the handsome kid who was getting girls, right? A girl had to get to know me. Like, it wasn't, she wasn't, she wasn't gonna come, I wasn't getting no phone number on my looks, you know? Like, it was like, oh, Shanti's a nice guy. But guess what? That's what you learn quickly. Nice guys don't get phone numbers. Right. Right. And then you're like, well, what's wrong with me? So then the self-judgment becomes internal, internalized. And I think with the young men in our work, because I remember all the places where I felt not enough, my, my work was helping them realize you are enough right now in the journey of who you want to be. So who do you want to be? Because you don't have a clear definition of who you're trying to be. And you're just following along, following along. You're going to probably not hit the mark because you don't have a definition of where it is. What are your values? Or do you do you smoke anything somebody hands you? Do you drink anything anybody gives you? Or do you have a value that says, you know what, I don't I don't smoke, 
or I don't drink. Or I've chosen that only at family events when I have permission from my family, I would do it. Like, what are your values? Because if we don't help them recognize their values when I'm not there, my job was to help them be ready when life hits them and I'm not around because I don't want them to come to need me to be like, I got to talk to brands and know what to do. No, you, you can come talk to me to vent. And I'm going to ask you a lot of questions to help you see what you think you should do. But I'm not here to tell you how to live your life because when you make the decision, you have the responsibility to live with that decision. You know, I don't want to feel like, oh, I told him to go do X, Y, Z. And I had a young man who got in trouble and I, he told me, hey, I'm about to fight this guy. I'm like, why? <laughs> well, he was looking at my girl. He looked at her. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't like the way he looked at her. Did he say something to her? Nope. Okay. You, you want to get in a fight because somebody looked at her? Like, tell me more. Well, that's disrespectful. How? Like, she's in public. She's in. She's a human on the earth. Like, he has no right. And in his mind, he had made up a decision about what that look meant. And therefore, he wanted to go into, like, fight. So when he got suspended, I was like, all right. Was it worth it? Because I'm not here to judge you, right? And my job is not to make shame you. You decided to fight for that. Was it worth it? Did it make your girl happy that, that you fought because somebody looked at her? Like, you know, like, and, and my job was not to shame, but I was to ask questions so he can be like, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably wasn't worth it. It probably, I'm at home five days. I got to make up now all this work. I got to do X, Y, Z. Now I'm going to probably get in more trouble because, you know, like all the things that we, when we act a certain way based on our, our image that we have to keep. We have to ask ourselves, what image are you keeping? Who, is it, who are you keeping the image for? Is it for you or is it for others, right? And I think the behaviors with the young men in our work was like, look, this space is a safe space because I see you fully. I see that you're more than what you're letting people see on the outside. As a math teacher, you only let me see X, Y, Z. But now in this space, we get a space to come deeper. And that's part of our work. And then when you get a chance to do that, you get to see, oh, yeah, actually, I'm more embarrassed. You know what I learned? Growing up, <laughs> I grew up in Oakland, right? I learned that if a girl didn't want to give you her phone number, then you should actually be mad. Like, I, was, I didn't know about embarrassment. No one talked <laughs> about being embarrassed and being, oh, I got, I got embarrassed. I was ashamed that she said no. And people know that she didn't give me her. Like, I was told that, oh, you have the permission to now call her names. <laughs> How stupid is that, right? But that's what I was learning as a 12, 5, 7, 10-year-old boy growing up in a community where unhealthy type of behaviors were happening. Well, now I first really like you and I'm, I have a crush on you. And now you don't give me your number. Now you're all these other names that now, what? How did that how did this switch so quick? I should become all that when you just, first of all, wanted to get with her. Because we didn't learn, I didn't learn how to deal with embarrassment or shame or feeling like. Or rejection. Uh, or rejection. That's a even better word, right? So, so now, uh, have you ever had, like, a time where you just want to choke them out, you know? I mean, it, it has to be, you know, I don't think that it's a, I don't think it's an easy task. You know, I work with teens in the past, and it's tough, you know? And, and I mean, I did choke one out, you know what I mean? We're editing that. No, but I'm just saying, sometimes you got to let them know, because, I mean, sometimes it's easy for kids to say, hey, you know, well, you know, Let's just say one of the things that I told him was, you know, if you ever touch another man, then be ready for him to put hands on you, you know, so stop playing around this whole, you know, let me, you know, punch you in your in your arm or, or you know, touch you, period, you know, because if one man touches another man, like, you know, there's going to be problems, right? So I think at some point you pretty much had a situation with, with any of them, right? I mean, how was it? You know, we 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 played around a lot. Like it was a lot of like I think that a lot of them miss. If, if they, you know, I didn't grow up with a father, so I knew the missing part of like no one tussled with me, right? right? So I was always tussling with my friends as a way of like connection, right? 
I think that our boys are told they shouldn't want that because it's not okay or that it makes them not masculine. You shouldn't want to be wrestling around with your friends. Like, I, I think those are just messages that they get passed that sometimes are damaging them ability to just be connected. And so I think with students, oh, man, they, they've done some behaviors where you like, and more of my job as a mentor, you know, I, I'm more like, oh, interesting. What was what was that about? What, what, what and I've had students who were not in the club who would be like, um, man, you better get out of my face, Branch. You better get the F out of my face, which is what students would say. And I, and I was really probably immature in my teaching in my early days. And I would be like, <laughs> That's what I was it's probably I got in trouble by the principal a few times by telling kids make me right because then now they have to decide oh yeah did I really mean it and now what am I going to do right so then it becomes like a I don't want I'm not here to fight no teenager I ain't got time for this right. but I, I would say it in a way in my mind like well I just gave them the permission to like if they thought that they needed that to happen that they should put hands on you they should just go ahead and do it right yeah. Um, and I know it's not well because some of our young men are not emotionally mature enough to think that, hmm, this is going to get me not only kicked out of school, it's going to get me arrested. Then their emotional maturity is so low sometimes that they would do it. And you realize, oh, I didn't mean, I'm not trying to set him up to go to jail. That's not what I, that's not why I said it. I was actually saying it to try and prove a point. But also, I got to realize that his, his, his emotional maturity is low. And my job is to be like, oh, and so, you know, I, I learned. I mean, I did it maybe four or five times, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, okay, Shanti, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Because they're 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 full of testosterone, right? Yeah. They're looking for something to fight and push and... and, and let their anger and, out. And, and let it out. And they are gladly, right? They're, I was only one of two or three male teachers at the school. So there's no... Most of the teachers are women. So they're not going to step up to one of these one of our female teachers. They're not going to do that. But I'm not moving out of the way. You can go around me. You want to go somewhere, go ahead. I'm... I'm I'm holding this space. I, I'm, I'm this big. Go go around that way or that way. And the idea, like this Types idea, but it's also a dance, right? I mean, I sometimes realize looking back, like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But that was me also becoming more mature too, right? As a teacher, as an educator, as a as a human, and as a man in this body who knows that there are certain times that people dare you, and you're like, hmm, do I want that dare? I'm willing to take that dare, or no, it's not probably a good healthy thing for me to do. <laughs> Now I was uh, in in researching and uh, preparing for this episode. Um, EFC Everford um, offers workshops, and one of the workshops in particular is the uh, taking the mask off. Yeah, if I'm him. correct. Yeah. Um, what is what is that? What is the workshop, and what are you emphasizing on? What is the what is its purpose? So um, we call it TOTM, taking off the mask, and and this is pre prior to pandemic masks right so you know i have one of my masks this is one of my favorite masks this is the lucha libre <laughs> mask <laughs> so when we talk about taking off the mask you know and then we started this workshop way before so now we have to kind of like give a disclaimer we're not telling people to not wear their personal protection mask we're talking about emotional masks okay and so in the workshop um, our work was featured in a documentary called the mask you live in and that documentary was about the um about how this hyper masculine narrative of being a man in America is really hurting our boys on the, on the, all the measurements of well-being and health. Our young men are doing the worst suicide, violence, incarceration, violence against children and women. Like the men are leading the numbers in those categories. And I think that um, not because we're bad people, but I think we've, some of the work we're talking about, like what have you been trained to do? You've been trained that you're not let, 
That's what's letting anybody make you feel bad. And so you should never feel bad. So somebody says something you don't like, you should do something about it. And I think the work that we do with this taking off the mask workshop was really around what are the qualities of yourself that you let the world see? We ask people, the, the, the task is really quick. It's, it's six, one picture plus six words when people make a mask. It's a, it's a thing they do, right? They draw a picture and then they write six words. Three words on the front are things that you gladly let the world see about you. What are three qualities that you gladly let the world see, right? Maybe we can do that here today, right? But you think about that's the front of the mask. And then the back of the mask are like, what are three things that you don't normally talk about? You don't normally let people see. And they may just be things that people never ask. So it just never comes up. Or they could be things that you just decided I'm never talking about it. But understanding that there's a difference between the parts of yourself that you gladly let people see and the stuff that you don't talk about. And so far, and the movement, which is started with the taking off the mask workshop, the movement is growing because we've been asking people and they and they're answering. They're they're making their mask. And then they realize that there's so much more to each of us than anybody can see by looking at us, right? Like there's more to you than I can see by looking at you. But most times we judge people with our eyes. We're like layers of onion. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. We're like Shrek. That's a good. That's a, that's a good <laughs> but that's no, a, so I, I understand the concept. I, I saw the documentary and, and some of the videos that you had online. Um, but at the my reservation would be, and, and you know, because we have these these like really in-depth conversations. And, you know, there's things that I know about him that no one knows, and there's things that he knows about me that know. But at the same time, if we're mad at each other, I can use that against him, and he can use what he. So it's like, yo, like how comfortable am I with letting the world or society know, like, yo, these are my insecurities. Cause you know how it is. Like I'm, I'm gonna take that. I, I could smile in your face today, yeah. all right. But somewhere along the lines, you gonna, you gonna, you gonna tee me off. Mm. And you know what? I'm, I'm going for the juggler. I'm, I'm gonna hurt you. You know. And now that I have this info, I'm privy to this information. You know. Now it's like, dang, I put my weaknesses out there. So how can we overcome, overcome that? You know. And you know, okay, cool. I, you may perceive them to be weaknesses, but you know, that's all based on for perception. That's right. That's you know, right. so if I, I if I'm perceived weak, but I know it's not really a weak, it's just how I'm feeling. Yeah. So how do we navigate that? Yeah, great question. And I think that when we talk about the mask, we know that when we do the activity, it's anonymous, right? So whether people make them online or they make them in the workshop, there's no names on them. So they're just writing the picture and the words. When we do a workshop in, in the documentary, we had them ball those papers up and then we threw them at each other to kind of mix them up in the room. And then when they opened up one of those papers, it was somebody else's. And what they realized right away was that, wait a minute, these are some of the words that I used. Wait a minute, somebody in here is going through this. And what you see in that documentary was that these young men, the first time, this is the first time I ever got them to open up. Like, and it was anonymous, right? And I realized that that's how we're going to have to do it. We start there with, just recognizing that there's so much more to all of us than anybody can see. And then we say, how much more are we willing to let ourselves be seen? Because if we're not recognizing that we're, I mean, and often you can say it's confidential, but if somebody decides that we're going to run their mouth, they're going to run their mouth, right? What we try and create in these spaces is like a space where what happens here stays here because we want to make it safe for those young men to be able to take off their emotional mask, recognize that everyone is also wearing emotional masks, and know that there's not, nothing wrong with them. There could have been plenty of things that happened to them. And so what we do is we know that. Like with friends, you I mean, I've had people betray my trust, right? You tell them something, and then they get mad at you, and now they want to, like, hurt you, right? So you're, what can you do about that? But I think it, I think the it's 
even if we were worried so much about that as a society, as a culture of men, I think that would probably be a small percentage as compared to the men who are bottling it up, who are coming down, who who are finding themselves in trouble, incarcerated, addicted to substances to ignore what they're really going through. I think that the, the worrying about somebody telling about what you have told them is probably less of a worry. But it's a, we It's a way to get comfortable, right? Yeah. Get comfortable uh, expressing those feelings so that way, you know, um, in a real-life scenario, it's not as a hard impact on that person. Yeah, I think what, what young men what young men say in the workshop is that you don't tell people what you what you're going through because you gotta keep your poker face on. That's what the young men right. said. Documentary, keep your poker face on. You can't let them see what you got, right? And I, and I said to them, and I said, how hard is that to always keep your poker face on, never being able to trust anybody, and you walking around carrying all this load of life by yourself? I think that is almost could be more exhausting, right? Than the one person who's gonna say something, and you know, like I, I just think that. I don't, I don't take it lightly when somebody betrays your trust, but I think we operate on the opposite side of that where I'm never going to tell anybody anything so no one can betray my trust, but what am I doing? I'm walking around like a walking time bomb, right. and all it takes is somebody to step on my foot, my foot, got some brand new kicks. You, now I'm going to hurt somebody because they stepped on my shoes, but it wasn't that one thing. I probably could have got over that, but I'm mad about the 25 other things I let slide, <laughs> and now they all come in on this one person who it could be. I see it happen at the Starbucks, right? You Somebody mess up their drink, and all of a sudden the person is like, Enemy of the state. You're like, hey, just have them remake it, right? You messed like like the, the emotional overload that people have, and it's not just men, but but, but I'm talking about men in this case. But like, what do, what do you do with all the emotions that you're not dealing with? Here's what I believe: I think emotions are energy in motion. The one thing we know about energy is that energy doesn't go away; it it, it just transfers. So if I'm angry about something and I'm not dealing with it, I may like tuck it away. You know, I'm on my way home. Okay, I got to go to the family. I can't talk about that thing I'm upset about, but it's waiting. It's waiting. <laughs> it's waiting in, in your body, in your heart, in your soul. And what's going to happen? Somebody drops a dish at the house. Somebody spills some milk. And maybe you realize it came out not, it wasn't even them. It was the other things that happened earlier that I never had a chance to deal with. And now it's like erupting around some spill. I'm making an example of a small right, thing, right? right? right. But, but, but you imagine how often this happens when we, we we carry over emotions on someone who didn't deserve it, right? I think that's part of the work that we're trying to do with this work is give people space to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm feeling some stuff from earlier today. What can I do with this right now so I don't come and carry it somewhere else? I don't begin transferring it to other people who didn't deserve it, right? I think that's what we got to give have space for. I think men, in my work, you know, I'm on this men's team. I've been there 10 years, 11 years this year, like, I don't know what I would do without them, right? Some weeks I'm there to support other men. Some weeks they're there to support me. I know I got a place to go and take my emotional mask off and get real. And when days are going rough, they got me. When days are going good, I'm there to help other men, right? They're there to celebrate you too. I think those that's what I, I think that's what we would try to create an ever forward. I I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew what I was trying to create was something I was missing. I never had that in high school. I didn't have it in middle school. I didn't have it in my own life. And I realized when I joined my own men's team, this is what I was creating. I was creating a space, a safe space for young men to learn earlier that they can find people they can trust. There are people you can trust. And every relationship may not last forever, but it doesn't mean you should never trust anybody. Right. What, what's the success rate that you have? And, and is there a particular case that sticks in your mind that says, you know what, because of my dedication to society and, and, and doing something good for it. Uh, this person did this. 
there, yeah. is there a specific case that you might want to share with us that yeah i got a couple of them and what we know in our work is that every student who joins our program graduates high school right 100 percent of them and it's because you don't drop out of a family necessarily right right like this is an academic family. You you don't, you drop out of places where you don't feel wanted, you don't feel you belong, you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel seen. I've rarely had a kid. I've never had a kid even think about dropping out when they're part of this brotherhood, right? Because they recognize you don't show up to a meeting, you're gonna get a phone call. Somebody show up at your house. You do like your presence matters, right? So that's one of the places where it's really powerful. And the one young man I'm gonna speak about is so the PE teacher. Um, I was telling you, teachers were bringing students to me all the time, right? So this PE teacher. He was the um, basketball coach. He's like, um, hey, I got this one kid. You know, he never dresses. Um, and he's just brand new to the school. Maybe he can join your club. I'm like, yeah, bring him over. So I had prep period, sixth period. He would. He, he walked over with the young man, brought him, and he shook my hand. And he pretty much just handed me his wrist. And um, I'm like, he was looking at the ground. He wasn't making eye contact. He was wearing all black. He had safety pins in all of his clothes. I mean, he was, he was, he was feeling, you could just feel like he was feeling in a dark place, right? I didn't even know him yet. And I said, he handed me his hand. And I'm like, hey, look at me. And he looked up. And I said, squeeze my hand. Because he just handed me his wrist. I'm like, no, squeeze my hand. I want to feel, feel you here, right here. And he squeezed my hand. Oh, you're pretty strong. And he was, he was a little bit more present. I don't think anybody had ever told this young man to look him in their look in their eyes. Right. I think every person who walked up to him, saw him being disconnected. They let him disconnect. They stayed away from him. And he didn't have, like, when I told him to squeeze my hand, like, the, he was strong. And it was like, why, 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 where, where was that right there when the first time you introduced me to you, right? But he wasn't present. And he had, his mom had passed maybe three, four years before that moment. Um, he was living with an abusive aunt. He was trying to help. He was the oldest of, of three, trying to raise it, be the father figure for his siblings. Didn't have a father in his own life. And we just began to talk. And I didn't know until that day. Like, I, I started asking him questions. And when I started, who do you live with? Oh, my uncle's okay. Where's your mom? And then, you know, I was doing work while he was sitting there because I wasn't going to just stare at him. We, we just do work at the same time. He started crying. And I was like, I didn't know which question it hit, right? And that was the question about his mom. And I was like, okay. So then I, I slowed down because I was doing stuff. Here's my prep period. So I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm at a job, right? So I'm trying to do work, but I'm also trying to connect with this young man and, and we just started connecting. I mean, I think he came every day for the rest of that school year. And sometimes he would just come. He would just come. I'll be doing work at my desk. He would look at me. And either he would be like, he'll like grab me or he'll push me. I'm like, you need to talk? He's like, and we would go and find a space where we can talk. And he would just let it out. And I think in his family, when his mom passed, she passed at home. Um, the uncles in his Latino family, he's a Latino young man, like, stop crying. Like the, the night the, she's she passed away in the room. Other the cousins are in there playing video games. Everyone else in there is drinking and eating, and they're telling him the oldest where his mom just saw he just, his mom took her last breath right there in front of him. Stop crying, and he shut down. He shut down, and I think that I'm so glad I got to meet him when I did because he was he was in a he was in a tough place. Um, but I'm I'm so thankful that he's kept he trusted. And that first handshake and that first conversation helped him begin to trust. And now he's married with two dogs and he's, a, you know, he's a military man and he is an amazing man. I'm really proud of him of how far he's come. And I think the journey, you know, his younger brother who we're still working with, he, he had a harder time. He, he never talked about it. 
Like I knew he needed to talk about it, but he never talked about it. And so he's now dealing with his own monsters that he's battling right now. And, um, and, and, but I've been a part of their life, you know, for the last, you know, since 2007. Right. It's like when they're a part of ever forward, they go off and live their life and they always know my phone number has been the same since 1998. They can always call. They can find me anywhere. Right. And there's like that. It's a community. It's a family. So I think that's one young man who I think of. And there's so many of them who I'm so proud of, who I get to connect with, who reach out and say, hey, Branch, you got time for a chat? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make some time. Right. And that's hundreds of young people who we had the chance to work with. And all of them don't come back around. You know, sometimes we have to find them. Like, where you been? I haven't seen you forever. But it's, but they know that this is a space where something happened that was magical in those years of high school where sometimes it can be the most disconnected, you know? That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. And, okay, so I, I got I got more like, it's not a situational question because it, it actually happened. So let's, let's think back to one of my favorite football players, of all time, Terrell Owens, right? Terrell Owens was, I believe, was playing for the Dallas Cowboys at the time, right? Terrell Owens. Let's gets, not talk about that. <laughs> Terrell Owens gets in front of the media, you know, just balling, balling, balling. You know, when it's, it's almost balling into the uncontrollable, like when your mom used to get a hold of you when you was a kid and you used to have a snot coming out your nose. That's how T.O. was crying. He was like, don't y'all talk about my quarterback, right? And for me, what that represented is like a lot of us, not just men, but women, we wear our emotions on our sleeves, right? So if I'm upset, you're going to know. It is, you know, hey, is this something wrong? Like, you know, you know, it. it's obvious. Mm. Um, so in what ways or would you suggest me being emotional is not a sign of weakness? Right. So how can we kind of, get rid of that narrative, you know, not just in our society, but in our homes yeah. in our classrooms and in our, cause if I'm emotional is because I'm, I'm passionate It's because I believe in something. And if something is not working out, you know, like one of the questions I want to ask you is, you know, uh, but we've already moved past that is our plan. Mm. I, I've, I've followed the plan. I've studied those who have gone before me, this is what worked for them. Of course, things change and you have to have adaptability. But I followed the plan. And somewhere along the way, it's not working the way I do. And now it's, I'm getting upset because I can't figure it out. Yeah. And now you see me, I'm, I'm crying. Why are you crying, bro? Mm -hmm. Like, bro, I really want this. Yeah. And it's not working out the way I want to. So how, what, what ways would you suggest that we go about changing that narrative? Ooh, it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, I think society has in its mind that that tears are weak. And I think that there's a lot more positivity around it now than there was when I was in high school. So there was no ever forward clubs when I was in school. There was no documentaries about men and emotions and masculinity and questioning. Do I get a can I be more of myself? Do I get to show more of myself? When I was in school, you could barely wear a red shirt without people thinking something's wrong with you. I mean, people, football players are wearing pink and fuchsia and all bright colors. And that was never accepted. I mean, I remember the first time I wore something that was like, it was like a salmon colored shirt. <laughs> people were like, I couldn't wear the shirt again because people were like, dude, you wearing pink? Like, it's not pink. And they were, <laughs> but but that's, what, that's what it looked like. And that's what everyone said. And therefore, it became a shame fest, right? And I think that what we have to do is we have to start earlier. Like, 
we're not going to go try and convince a bunch of 50-year-old, 60-year-old men that, hey, you should let your feelings be seen. Here's what we know about men who are from that old generation. Um, when it's their last moments, they're going to show some feelings. Because there's something a part of your, about your mortality that will help you when the people are around you and you know it's your last. It may be the last words you say, but you what we hear from men all over is that their father, right when he was about to go, finally said, I loved you. Like waited till right at the end to say it for the first time ever. And I think that why? Well, they have been programmed for so many years that that's the way it has to be. So how do we do it? We need to reprogram from the beginning, from the young people. And our work is middle school, high school. And we've been working with fourth and fifth graders. What do you feel? What are the feelings that exist? I think most people can name maybe seven, ten emotions. There are dozens of words that represent emotions, but we don't learn them. Why? Because there's no school. There's no training about that in most schools. About what are the different ways to feel? Because we've, we've, we've gotten away from that human connection with each other. And so part of what I think we have to do is begin changing the narrative. I think right now, more than ever, we're seeing more people. You know, there's a rapper... What was his name? Um, I forgot his name. He, in his songs, like I only heard his song recently for the last, like two weeks ago. In his songs, he's talking about, I'm struggling. I can't stop these drugs. I'm, and people were just like dancing to his music. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Now he, 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 he died. He died like ingested, trying to like keep some drugs from the police. And he ingested a bunch of drugs and they exploded in his stomach or whatever. I don't know the whole story. Something world. Something world. Juice world. Juice world. His songs are almost all about, I'm struggling, I'm going through it, I'm addicted to these drugs, and everyone just kept dancing to the beat. And he missed the fact that he was calling out for help. And I've, I've only only know about him in very little. So if anybody out there are big fans, don't take it out on me. I don't, I'm, I'm still learning about him. Well, I haven't heard two songs, and in both of those songs, he was like, I'm struggling, I'm going through it. And everybody got locked into the beat. And everyone loved those songs and missed the fact that this man was calling out for help. And maybe he thought they were going to hear it. I said it. <laughs> I said I'm struggling. I said I'm having a hard time. I said I'm, I can't I can't get off of these drugs. And no one came to the aid of like, hey, do you want something more? You want some support? And they just kept nodding their head to the beat. And I think that what, the way we're going to change it is when man says that he's feeling something, we need to believe him. And we need to give him permission. And when a, a boy says he's feeling something, we need to give him permission to feel it and then have him navigate Okay, what do I do with this feeling? And here's what I think. I think when I'm feeling something, when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, when something happens, or somebody's, like the other day I was going to work, this car was like kept moving in my lane. I'm like, what the heck? I said, I kept honking my horn. They couldn't hear me. And I'm trying to get around. So as I start getting around, I look, the person's on their phone, like like not even looking up, like literally on the phone. And I was like, he, I felt I felt boiling. I felt heat. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to like make a, a gesture Right. Because you almost endangered my life. Right. So now I'm feeling justified. I'm like a justified warrior to be like <laughs> you. And I'm like, Ashanti, what are you doing? 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 And I realized that I was about to let my emotion take over because I was I was afraid. Actually, I thought he was going to hit me. So more of the fear that was coming in. But I'm, I'm not fear doesn't. I don't give fear a lot of room. I give anger a whole lot of room. And sometimes I let anger drive. And so I was like about to like get into a. I'm like, keep going, get to work, right? And I realized that I was about to turn fear into anger and let it come out in ways that were not based on what I was really feeling. I was feeling nervous and scared. And then I saw this and I'm like, you're about to hurt somebody, you know? Not just me, but I'm going to miss seeing my nephews. I'm going to miss seeing my family because of your irresponsibility, right? 
And I think that that's what we need to do. How do we give people more tools so that we can, how do we make some more spaces for men to come together and be like, hey, we're going to have some real talk tonight. Let's just have some real talk. We're going to create a confidential space. And I mean, every man's not ready for it, but I think men, when they finally find it, they find that wait, this is possible. This is possible that men can confide in each other about stuff that we're going through, that we're not perfect, that we, we're struggling and, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. That's what I think we need. So I think that's the way we're going to be able to more put more, more health in a more healthy way, push through it. Because I think that we, our, our world needs it. When I talked about it earlier, I, talk, I only use one statistic usually ever. And it says that 94% of people incarcerated are men. By those numbers, there's something wrong with men. Well, well, I think it's the delivery. I think, uh, I think we got the part of the emotion part, right? Yeah. But then delivering, how, how do you express your emotions? I think that's huge because sometimes expressing your emotions can be a, a sign of aggression. It could be a sign of uh, so many different things when in reality, it's sometimes you just have to say, I understand. Simple as that. You don't have to tell them how to feel. You don't have to tell them how to uh, react to it or what the game plan is, is I understand because sometimes when when that simple I understand, it diffuses the whole backstory of that emotion. So now we're we're moving on. You know, it's not no uh you know like like that whole situation with the car. You know, you decided to move on. Yeah. So I think that sometimes we gotta choose our battles and 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 not want to win everyone because at the end of the day it's about uh growing up to be an excellent man and and have value because at, at some point you're going to have to deliver those values to the upcoming generations. And uh, I don't know, it's, uh, I don't think we're ever going to be understood, but you know, it's, it's, it's nice to hear this, you know, and, and to talk about this because, right. you know, it's not something that a, a very common topic that is trending in YouTube. Right. Men and their emotions. Men and their emotions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Best but, 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 but we can listen to a girl talk and we can, we can hear the, you know, emotions. So that's kind of the ironic part, but. Yeah. Now, now before we get too deep and too far along, I know you have a card game. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to let this show in without, I don't know if we'll have time to play, but at least explain it and show us how we can go about playing it and where we can purchase it and what yeah. it's all about. So what I realized was that um, um, there was a group from uh, Stanford who did some work with us and the students interviewed a bunch of people and they were like, you know, everyone we talked to, they said, well, without without Ashanti, there's no ever forward club. And I'm like, why? What do we do special? I just ask a lot of questions and we listen. And, I'll, and, and while they were saying that, I know that that's what people think. Like, like I'm the face of this organization, but I'm also I, I'm trying to like I want it to grow. I don't want to be holding on to it. I want it to like grow. And so this idea was in my mind already in a long time ago. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I'm like, what do I, what happens if something happens to me? What, what What's being left behind? Like if, and I, I thought, what if I create a game? And so this game is called The Adventure. And what there are, there are these characters in The Adventure. There's destinations and characters. And the goal of the game is to save a, a character from a destination. Now, three of the characters are based on real people. So <laughs> there's one that's me. There's one that's uh, Lupe and Vincenzo. So Lupe is a student here in the Bay Area. Vincenzo is also a student. And there's me, right? And then we have these destinations. And the goal of our in the game is to save one of these people from a destination. So we would pick a destination. And the way we save them is by these challenge cards. And the challenge cards are questions. So I'm going to just 
they can fan this out. And once you pick a car from anywhere, if you pick one from anywhere, there's like five different types of cars. You can pick one from anywhere. Okay. And some of them are easier and some of them are harder. So there's three point questions and five point questions. Okay. So let's say um, I'll go, I'll show you the first one I have. I have one that's called lessons, Le it's lessons learned. It's a three point question. And the question says, what is your most vivid memory from early childhood? Now that's a one or a three. Now the way it works is we get one point by just saying, Hey, it's a lightweight answer. Oh, I remember going to Disneyland. Okay, cool. Now three would be deeper, right? Deeper would be like something more. I mean, if you could, you could get, you, you self-select how many points you get. So going, going to Disneyland is a three for you. Take three. But three, though, I was answering this question, a three would be like, I remember getting my head stuck in the railing at the, at this apartment building. Cause I was trying to say hi to my friend downstairs and I got put my head through the fence to say bye to him. And then my head got stuck. And I remember my mom getting, I was, I was scared and my mom was so mad at me. And I was like, you're mad, but I'm scared. Like what's happening here. And it was, it was a mixture of emotions that were happening. Cause my head was stuck and she was yelling at me, but I, I couldn't get out. And I was, so, th so that's like a deeper memory. And I would take a three for that. Now everyone chooses how deep they, so Okay. You want to go to your question? When do you read your question? Oh, sure. All right. What's the scariest uh, thing I've ever done? Or the craziest? Yeah. You like answering it? Skydiving. Skydiving. That was, that was crazy. I think that was a, a situation that I wasn't necessarily... Uh, uh, a decision that I wanted to do. It was more that I was with my old man. And uh, basically I was told to man up. So that that was probably the scariest thing I could think of. Well, what about you? Would that, would that be a, a three point or a five point? Uh, Not sure. That's a leap of faith. So that's a one or a five. Probably a five. Yeah. Jumping yeah. out of plane. Yeah. I would say it's five. <laughs> five in my book. For sure. And now, are we supposed to all go around and answer the question that, like, say, when you got your question, you talk about the scariest moment, his question, it could be something different. Do yeah. we take, go around it? How we, does it work? The, the original instructions are just like, I answer the questions on my card. But, you know, we've mod we play lots of modified versions where, do you want to answer it? People can answer it also and get those points, too. So it helps us more quickly save this person from wherever we're saving them from. So... The, the original rules were just, I answer my question, you answer your question, you answer yours, and we just keep going until we get enough points. But, okay. to, you know, when you're building community and we're just planning to learn about each other, you may want to answer that question, too. I may want to answer it, too. It's a pretty cool question, right? Okay. And so, yeah, we played it lots of different ways. But but my question is actually my question. No one else has to answer it technically. But So, so technically, it's a way to get people into uh, go, go into memory lane and, and kind of take that something deep inside that maybe they want to elaborate. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's a beautiful way. Like we, we really just brought it, we created it for, to build more connection. Right. Like, right. Like if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have known that about you. Right. Like, so it's a way for us to build more connection, but also we don't, we tell people the reason we have the two points systems is we're not telling people that in this space, they have to share personal, hurtful, tragic things. It's like, how about we get to get to know each other a little bit better, but like, there's so many ways I can answer the, these type of questions, right? Like, what are some scary things I've did, some crazy things I've done? What are some wild things I've done, right? So it's like a way to build connection with the people who are playing. Um, and when we play with organizations, schools or organizations, it's really like helping those students recognize, 
oh, wow, there's more to each of us than anybody would ever know. The questions are meant to reach in a place where, hey, and then sometimes people say, you know what, this is too hard to answer. And say, okay, you want to change a card? They change a card because it's not a, the, what they answer is not the issue. It's like we're getting to know each other a little bit better. And no question is meant to make anybody feel afraid, but there's some hard questions in there, you know? Um, I remember doing a workshop with one group of students and the kid got the hardest question in the deck. It was, well, for me, the hardest question um, at that time. And I was like, hey, you know what? You don't need to answer this question. You know, let's pick another question. I was trying to protect him, right? Because we were playing. It was a virtual what, game. What, what was the question? The question was, what is a secret that you have kept from your parents? Okay. Oh, wow. Right. And he's 16 years old. Right. So imagine like I don't, I'm not trying to put him on the spot. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's pick a new card. He said, like, no, 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 I'll answer it. I was like, oh, okay, okay, right? I was like, okay, you sure? Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to protect yeah, right. him, right? You talked about, like, what if somebody tries it? And he was like, no, I'm, I'm ready to answer this one. And it was beautiful. Like, he got a chance to, like, recognize that he's growing up and he's maturing. And, that, yeah, there were things I kept as secrets and certain things that I don't need to keep as secrets anymore. And I think that that's part of building community, right? And that's what happens with this game we found. And it's really powerful. It's been, we've been playing it a lot of times. Um, our team has been playing it. And so every time we get to new questions, it's like, okay, wow, I get to learn about that. I, now, I know that you went skydiving. I went skydiving. I'll let her talk to you about your experience at, you know, at some other point, right? But that's, that wouldn't I have a common interest. Have a common, it. yeah, common connection. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know he's been, he's, he's experienced that or he's been through that. Maybe I can connect with that person a little bit deeper. And that, this actually, this game actually does work. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say we played this game at work, but it was something similar. So my my boss, my old boss, uh, she would open up the floor with like, uh, what's the favorite? What's your favorite uh, food that you can cook or what's uh, uh, something amazing of a trip? Now, we're talking about I mean, I'm the youngest guy in there. We're talking about like, you know, 50 year old, 60 year olds that they probably never get this question asked to them because they're already old. Like they, you know, nobody wants to hear your your, uh, you know, young uh, adventure or something that's you know, uh, intimate in, in yeah. some sort of you know, form. And uh, it actually created an environment where I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I've, I've been in the banking industry for quite some time and, and uh, uh, well, let's delete that part. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, it created community, like you said. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. Cause I, I think that was like, you know, I, I work with sharks and for some reason, these were all like kind sharks. You know, everybody was very nice because of these type of meetings that we had. And I actually love going to these meetings because it was a it was a good environment. They fed us. They you know, it wasn't always necessarily about work. And I think that that's it's powerful. Yeah. It's definitely powerful. OK, well, I, I I guess I would feel bad if I didn't read my question. So. All right. Uh, so my question reads, uh, what experience in your life has taught you the most I don't really have one experience, but as of late, uh, me, I would say the time I, well, not time, it was just recent, uh, taking my son and dropping him off at, at college. You know, always, I want to say always, most commonly in the movies and stuff like that, or even just kicking it with your homies, you're, man, I can't wait till y'all out the house. <laughs> I can't wait, you know? And, uh, when we dropped them off, man, it uh, it got to me, cause I was like, I'm, I'm letting him go to the world now, you know what I'm saying? He's 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 out of my grasp, and now he has to, 
And like he said, like he um, mentioned earlier, hopefully those values and things that I have, I received from my father, I give that to my son. And then now it's his turn to pretty much carry it. If hopefully 30 years from now, you know, 40 years or not ever, you know, he'll have to, you know, give that on to his children or someone that he cares about. But like, man, dropping him off, I was just like, man, what do I do now? And then it it just made me reflect on everything that I've done up to this point. Was it enough? Could I have done more? What did you what fail would to have do? Changed? Yeah, those type of things. Yeah. So, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Thank yeah. you. That 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 I would say that was it. Did you tell him? I, did you tell him that? No, nah, he'll probably see this. So, <laughs> yeah. No, nah, it just made me realize, you know, how much I how much I loved him. Like, of course, that's my son. You know, he has my name. Right. You know, what I'm saying not just my last name. He has my name. And there's a reason for that. I just like it wasn't like you were dropping them off at the fire station. Yeah, right? no, nah, man, it was just like, dang, yeah. man, like now and that's adulthood now. Like, oh, the the crazy part about it is is that nowadays uh, you don't know what a kid actually captivates. You know, you don't know what they're thinking. They're so unpredictable. They technology, everything. There's so there's so many things against you know parenting somebody nowadays because you don't know. What what are they really comprehending and how do you help them understand that? Because now, it, you know, they don't want to lecture. They want to text, you know, so it's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, those ones. And that's that's part of the work. And so this game, as you see, what we do with this work is giving people space to realize, oh, wow, there's there's. I'm glad I'm hoping he hears it. I'm hoping he hears it. I'm hoping maybe even like you tell him. Right. You'd be like, right. I just want to tell you, I had a podcast today. And maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he maybe maybe he felt it, but maybe you didn't say it. So maybe he thinks it, but he doesn't hasn't heard it. And so maybe those ways of like, oh, what, what, what if I tell him? What if what if, what if I tell him that right. that was a difficult moment, right? Like, I think what we what we find with adults and parents, and I'm not a parent biologically. I've raised a lot of kids, but um, what I've recognized is that sometimes we're trying to protect them from everything we went through, so we may not tell them what we're going through. And then it makes it harder for them to navigate real world problems because they haven't heard us deal with problems. We've always shielded them from all the problems. And so they're even from our not shielding from the problem they're going to run into, but shield them from the problems that we're going through. So when they hit a problem, they're like, well, my parents never had a problem. So I don't even know what to do in this moment. I don't know how to even think about this situation because this never happens to anybody around me when the parents are going through real stuff all the time. And how much do you how much can you share with them that's not loading on them? That, hey, life is real. Like, here's what things are going on in the world and around our lives, you know. I think that's what we try and encourage in our work for parents here. Thank you, men. Thanks for being a part of this. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. Right Thank on. you for being a guest. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to the uh, conclusion of our show um, today. As always, I often open up the floor to our guests and our host, the other half of the show. Um, today, we will start off with uh, GQ Nesto. Is there anything you would like to share with the listeners and the viewers as we part our ways? Well, obviously, this type of subject, like I said, is not a trending topic. Uh, and to all our listeners, especially our uh, male audience, um, don't wait to take a shot to talk about your feelings. You know, it's OK. Sometimes um, once you let it go, it's no longer your enemy. So um, hold off the shot. Maybe be a happy drunk. You know, don't 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 involve uh, 
a, a, a substance to uh, feel because it's okay to feel. So. Mr. Branch. Yeah, I'm just thankful for this opportunity to be in this conversation with you too. And, um, you know, the work that we've been trying to do around the world is giving people the opportunity to realize that they're not alone. And there's a quote we use in our work that says, the longest distance that most people travel is the 18 inches between their head and their heart. But most of us get stuck in our heads. And so in my work, we're trying to just give people a way to connect back to their hearts. Like, and so we ask people, you know, when was the last time you connected to your heart? What are you feeling? What are you, what are you going through? What's happening? And, you know, maybe the men in your life don't know, maybe the men who are watching this and the women in your life, they, maybe people don't know that you care because we never talk about it. So maybe, maybe this would be a great time for the holiday to be like, Hey, or anytime part of the year is to say, Hey, how are you doing? And when they say fine or good or cool, you just stay there a little longer and say, tell me about that. Tell me what that, what, what does good mean? What does cool mean? What does, what does fine mean? Because imagine most times we, we only get time for a short answer. And I, I just think that the more we can begin using that, how you're doing as a real question, I mean, like we really mean it, right. it, it will change so many things, you know? 100%, 100%. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And I would say that, uh, I would say I can talk about a conversation that I, I've had with GQ Nesto just here in the recent weeks and with, with my son. I think it's not a control mechanism if I'm asking you questions. It's not about me trying to be in your business, right? Or trying to get those deep, dark secrets. It's the fact that I'm concerned. And I think oftentimes uh, what needs to be done more in our society, in our homes, in the classrooms, and in the work environment is to show that concern and for it to be genuine, right? Because what we are, we're human. We're human. I don't know what you're going through. And it's okay if you don't want to share it with me. But just know that I'm here for you. And I think that's what uh, Ever Forward Club is, to me, in my opinion. I'm here for you if you need me. Right? I'm reaching out. You missing a meeting? I'm calling. Not because I get a check for calling you. I'm calling you because I'm concerned. I want to see you make it. And that's a community of men, as a community of women. And if we get together, we can always, like I say, we can always accomplish so much more together than divided. But um, ladies and gentlemen, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. We see y'all next time. Option 4 Podcast. We out.